It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you on this fine day? I'm well. And yourself, Steve, how are you? Oh, I'm terrific. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram. Find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex. He's amazing. Follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And Jerry, I'm very excited today. We're going to do disc three of different stages. Yeah, we probably should have done it right after we did one and two, right? Probably. We talked about discs one and two on episode 92, and we got a lot of emails from people. Hey, what about disc three? That's, that's part of the deal too, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time it seemed like we should just do the concert portion, like the every four albums or so Rush used to put out just mm-hmm. a record of the songs from those four albums. So we just decided to focus on those and not this throwback concert from 1978. We heard from the old school Rush fans, specifically Chuck. He reached out to me and said, hey, come on, man. That's the best disc. I know. You got to talk about that one. I don't know. At different stages, the, the other two were pretty good. So The other two were pretty good. We're going to find out how good disc three is. But before we do that, I hear you have an amazing email for us. Sure. <laughs> I love how you, you like to pump things up. You're like Elvis Costello. Exactly. So this is from Mark. Hey, Mark. He said, I discovered your podcast about two months ago. And I've resisted contacting you until I caught up. Two months? That's what he said. So I'm assuming he's up to, up to speed. You want to do the math on that one, Steve? That is prolific. Over 100 episodes in two months. God bless you. Well, what's a Rush fan to do but obsess over the things they love? <laughs> so here I sit with a million and one things to write about and no idea where to start. Firstly, I can congratulate you on an excellent podcast. I've delved into many over the years, covering many subjects, and most have fallen by the wayside because the hosts have no chemistry, and some are just plain irritating. But your friendship and passion for Rush pours out of the speakers, and like you, Steve, it was the music that first hooked me. But with your podcast, I am fully appreciating Neil's lyrics even more. As I'm now getting alerts when new episodes are released, it's something to brighten my day. My Rush origin story goes as follows. While at school, about 10 miles from Liverpool, that's in the UK, obviously, in the early to mid-70s, myself and music-minded friends would make each other mixtapes to turn our friends onto tunes that we were listening to. Money was tight, so they were usually poor-quality C60s, which had been used quite a few times. One such time, somebody passed me a tape with 2112 written on it, with humble pie scribbled over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wore it out, and I still have a soft spot for the three to four Humble Pie tunes from an unknown album that were still tacked on the end. <laughs> Fast forward, I didn't even bother <laughs> recording over the rest of the Humble That's Pie awesome. album. Fast forward maybe a year and Cut Price Records opened in Liverpool. Money was saved and bus tickets dodged and I found myself in front of a strange LP with I'm not sure what on the cover. It was a farewell to Kings. My friend Roy had 2112 in his hand so we agreed to a joint purchase. I can still remember the first time Xanadu came out of the speakers on my parents' radiogram. My first Rush live experience was actually outside the Liverpool Empire, as I didn't have a ticket. I also listened to Kate Bush, Alex Harvey, and Wings this way. <laughs> I finally saw them face-to-face at D-Side Leisure Center on the Permanent Waves Tour, pressed up against the barrier in front of Getty. Man, is there nothing that man can't play while singing? I've been hooked ever since. And Jerry, you're wrong about Countdown, but so right about Ty Shan. Keep up, <laughs> <laughs> keep up the great work. That was from Mark. Thanks, Mark. You know, I noticed he called the songs tunes. Yes. And I was listening back to our episode with Christopher Hoke, the band director of Ohio State University, mm-hmm. and we called the tunes songs. And as Nathan Santos taught us, the band director correctly called them tunes. Okay. As usual, we're wrong again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue to call them songs. I guess they're tunes. Yeah, but YYZ, I guess, is a tune because it doesn't have lyrics. True. But I still call it a song. 
Yeah, and I'm set in my ways on that one for some reason. Me too. So different stages, Jer. Live disc three. We talked about discs one and two, as I mentioned. All three were released November 10th, 1998. Now, the thing about disc three, it was re-released as part of the A Farewell to King's 40th Anniversary Deluxe Edition box set. And there were four extra tracks. And that's the one we're going to talk about. So we're, I guess we're not really talking about different stages, disc three, are we? Well, we are. We're going to talk about it, but we're also going to talk about the four tracks that were included on the A Farewell to King's 40th Anniversary box set. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So we're going to talk about both. We're going to kill two birds with one stone. Just curious what I'm going to put as the title of this episode. I don't know. That's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem for future, Jerry. the 40th anniversary of a farewell to kings was released on december 1st 2017 you can hear that on spotify if you have a spotify account or you can hear it on your disc if you bought the box set which i didn't because i'm cheap that's very true you are very cheap i'm very cheap (laughs) frugal frugal that's the word that's the word i like we also talked about the cover art for this on episode 92, but I thought it might be interesting just to mention it once again. Yes. On the inside of different stages, there's a cool image of Hammersmith Odeon. Yes. Which is the venue this was recorded at. And you could see Getty buying a scalp ticket, (laughs) Alex being taken away to a mental institution, it looks like. Right, exactly. And then Neil just hanging out in the window. Right. It looks like he's wearing his, his Bubba shirt. Yeah. This is like a, like a bowling shirt of some kind. But it's a very cool image. Yes, it is. I'm not sure if that's on the, the 40th anniversary box set of A Farewell to Kings. It may be. It should be. I don't, I, again, I don't own it either. What, a, what poor Rush fans we are, Steve. I, as I keep saying, we're not huge Rush fans. We're just two <laughs> Rush fans who happen to do a podcast. That's basically it. So Hammersmith Odeon is currently called, did you know that the name has changed a few times? No. It was originally called Gomont Palace. It opened in 1932. Okay. And it was renamed Hammersmith Odeon in 1962. And it's currently called Eventum Apollo. Okay. Which I think is a sponsor. Not sure what I'm not sure what Eventum is, but it was changed to Hammersmith Apollo at some point, and now it's just called Eventum Apollo. At least it's not the one eight hundred Ask Gary Arena. Which is an actual place. That's a terrible name. That's a terrible name. But I'm sure everybody in in the UK still calls it Hammersmith. I would. I would call it the Hammersmith Odeon. And I was going to suggest uh, that we go to the Hammersmith Odeon, but I guess we can't now, right? We can't. We have to go to the event of Apollo. That's not, doesn't feel the same. Because, you know, I have a great Bruce Springsteen concert from when he was at the Hammersmith. I think it was in the 40th anniversary of Born to Run. And it's fantastic. Wow. I wonder if it's, if it's just the venue recording at the, the Odeon or the Hammersmith. And I believe Iron Maiden's Live After Death album, which I own, I believe that was recorded at Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah. Great album. Man, now I'm bummed. I wish you hadn't told me that. I was really looking forward to one day going there. Well, you could still call it that. I guess. It's the same building. So as we mentioned last time, produced by Getty Lee and Paul Northfield, This was produced during the time period where Neil had the tragedies in his life. His wife and his daughter had passed away. Mm -hmm. And Alex, I believe, was working on Victor. I believe. I could be wrong there. Okay. But Getty did this by himself along with Paul Northfield and and did a fantastic job. Oh, absolutely. It sounds great. So we said on the previous episode that Different Stages was Rush's best live album. Yes. So will that be further cemented when we listen to disc three? Yes. I believe so. <laughs> yeah. Unless you don't consider this to be part of that live album. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. I mean, I was thinking of like, when I was saying that that's the best live album, I was thinking, like I said earlier, of the, the album that was put out every four albums or so. Right. So the, those two first discs of different stages for me represent that continuation of the live album experience. This is an extra live album disc 
So it's still great, but for me, it seems like an extra, not part of, you know, the continuation of those live albums, every four albums. Does that make sense? Okay. So we can, we can treat discs one and two as a standalone live album. And we think that's the best one even by itself. Yes. So now adding this, forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Over the top. All right, let's get started. Track one is Best Deal Day. So, Jared, I hope our listeners will go back and listen to the entire thing on Spotify or if they own it, because this is just incredible. I want to start by asking you, what is the song that's playing at the open of the show? I could not find it. I'm pretty sure you did. I did find it. How'd you know? Because you're smarter than me. It is called Nights, Winters, Years. Okay. It was written by Justin Hayward. Uh, who was the, the main, I guess, the main songwriter of the Moody Blues. Okay. Uh, and it was on an album that he and another member of the Moody Blues, John Lodge, did in 1975. So there you go. Nights, winters, years. And I can see you found that in Wandering the Face of the Earth, did you not? I did not find it in Wandering the Face of the Earth. You didn't? Oh, I was just going to give Skip and Eric a really good plug. We give it to them anyway because it's a great book. Where did you find it? Just in the Googles. Oh, okay. I had I had to Google around for a while because you can hear the lyrics. There's one set of lyrics you can hear. So I Googled that, different permutations of it, and I finally came up with it. Um, the reason why I have Wandering the Face of the Earth out is because I was just reading about this concert. And evidently, the concert was recorded for the BBC at the time. Mm-hmm. It was never used because Getty had a cold. And he didn't like how his voice sounded. Are you serious? Yeah, so it was shelved until it was unearthed for different stages. Yeah, his voice sounds great on this record. What's he talking about? Hold on. So there's a quote. Hold on. Okay. This is from Wandering the Face of the Earth, right? Okay. So there were two shows at the Hammersmith, the 19th and the 20th. And this is from the 20th. Mm -hmm. And Neil said to New Musical Express, I was depressed. I wasn't playing like I should have been playing. There's a barometer that says, this is what I'm shooting for tonight, for that perfect show. And when I don't reach that level, it's not right. It's extremely elusive. I would say that out of all of those shows, there are only three that I would consider as the standard, as the ideal show. He's talking about the entire tour. Okay. So I've got to figure that all those other 117 were substandard. Well, I don't mean that they were substandard, but they were below the perfect level. It's just got to be the best possible show we can possibly put on. And then Getty also said to New Musical Express, by the same token, Alex and I thought they were good nights. When you do as many shows as we do, you're bound to slump sooner or later. We don't expect the audience to know the standard. It's purely a personal measure against past performances. And then Alex said, on the American tour toward the end of that last month, I had that same feeling that I was not putting out like I should. But you just get to a point where fatigue is so deep that you just can't. So evidently, they were near the end of the tour, and they felt like they weren't playing up to snuff, which is incredible because if this concert <laughs> exactly. isn't up to snuff, what were the beginning? What was the first couple of shows like? It's incredible. Well, I'm glad Getty doesn't expect the audience to know the difference because this idiot doesn't know the difference. I mean, <laughs> this is incredible it is an amazing hour and a half it makes me want to go back and see rush so bad just to see these songs again i was listening to this i listened to this album three times today (laughs) today steve because it was so good you know all the world's a stage was released two years earlier than this right and this sounds exponentially better than all the world's a stage to me. Do you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a live concert. Like this is like, you know, unadulterated, but produced, if that makes any sense. Whereas the, the, all the world's a stage is definitely, it feels like, you know, they just plugged in one, one microphone and recorded the whole thing. Right. 
And Getty's voice sounds so crystal clear and upfront in the mix compared to All the World's a Stage that this, this just blows that out of the water for me. It really does. Yeah, like you said, I mean, maybe it was remastered when different stages came out from the original. But still, different stages compared to All the World's a Stage, I mean, this is, it's not a comparison for me. Right. Everything sounds so amazing. You can hear every, we'll go over some of the finer points of some of the songs when you just, the bass is popping. Yeah. The drum, everything is crystal clear. And Getty's voice, while I think at the end, I, when I listened to the album for the first time, I didn't notice anything wrong with his voice. Uh, you know, just marveling at the notes he was hitting and the power behind his voice. But then when I read that he had a cold, there are a couple of spots later on and you can kind of hear his voice getting a little gravelly but i wouldn't even have noticed it if i hadn't read it so yeah now i had listened to this a long time ago when different stages came out but i guess yes. i didn't you know i just didn't give it the uh the full listen that i should have like i did for this podcast and i just can't believe that i haven't been listening to this every day for the past <sighs> 15 years or whatever it's been i know every every track is amazing I would have loved to have been at this show. Oh my God. And loved of, it. And of course, Bastille Day is probably the perfect opening song for any concert by any band. Every band should open with Bastille Day. I said this already. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, it's it's great. He plays so fast. Alex is playing so fast at the yeah. beginning. I mean, we're gonna get into Alex, but on this record, Alex Lifeson is so, so amazing. So amazing. Yeah. He's God. He reaches God's status. He is the star of this record. The star. Yeah. He's in God mode. God mode. Yeah. Can we gush any more? Yes. I mean, I, I didn't break out the, you know, the solo cup, you know, with all the adjectives on it. Cause why bother? I mean, it's, uh, let's just get into it. All right. We're going to get into it. Bastille day speaks for itself. Let's do track two before we just go over the moon about Bastille. Right. Day. Yeah, I know. Track two. Is Lakeside Park. Now, Jared, this track is not on different stages, but it is on the Farewell to Kings box set. So the box set has every single song that they played that night. Right. This was omitted for different stages, I guess, because they needed to cut it down for to be on one disc. Mm -hmm. And this is a bit faster than the studio version, don't you think? It is. It's a little bit faster, yeah. And I noticed that Neil adds quite a bit <sighs> more fills on this yeah. song than he did on the original, don't you think? That's very true. He's definitely going all over the place. And there's also a little uh, keyboard in it. Yes, yes, I mentioned that too. Which Xanadu-esque keyboard. Yeah, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I thought it was great too. But I think that the star of this song for me is, is Getty's bass. Just the way it is in the mix and just what he's playing. Sounds great. I was going to say that Alex's guitar in the mix for me is what stands out. The amazing thing about, we talked about this when we talked about different stages, discs one and two, Getty did such a great job mixing this Yeah. that if you're listening for Alex or you're listening for Getty or you're listening for Neil, you're going to say, oh, wow, that sounds so great in the mix. They all do. They all sound great. He's definitely balancing out the band as a whole. He's a team player. He's a team player. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. He could have been selfish and just cranked the bass up and the vocals and said, screw you guys. Right. But he didn't. Right. No, man. He did a great job. Oh, no, he would never do that. And as you mentioned, we don't have the adjective jar, but Alex's solo is just dazzling. How about that for a word? That's a good one. That's a good one, right? I didn't even yeah. look that up in the dictionary. No. Don't ask me. <laughs> but incredible. Just incredible. I agree. So I implore you, if you just have different stages, 
get the box set or listen on Spotify. Check this out. Amazing version of Lakeside Park. Yeah. Maybe if people want to, they should go song by song with us and listen to the song and come back. Is that too much to ask? It may be. It may be, depending on the person. But some people might do it. Yeah. Let's move on to track three. It is a good one. By Tor and the Snow Dog. This is track two on different stages, track three on the A Farewell to Kings box set version. And I'm sure I've said this before, but I so wish I could have seen them perform this song live. I mean, can you imagine? No, that's what I wrote down too, is that I would love to have been there to see this. Just the energy of this entire song. And they do a a very, very smart thing they bleed it into Xanadu at the end. I know we're skipping ahead, but it's just a great way to just keep the energy of the concert going. They play all of the meat of Bitor and the Snow Dog and the the ferocious battle. Mm -hmm. What is Alex doing? What is he playing? I don't know, man. I mean, every single, you know, I wrote down little notes for each song on here and I just, every time, this one I wrote, Alex's guitar solo is in sane and i wrote it in huge letters right it's insane i just wrote down the tone yeah the tone on his guitar and then getty's over there just kind of ripping it out (laughs) all three of them are just god they must have been so sweaty it must have been so hot in that room it just makes me think that we really missed out not seeing rush in the 70s not that they weren't great in the 80s and 90s yeah but the people that got to see rush in this era and pay six bucks or whatever they did for the ticket. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is there a better value on earth than that? No. Oh my God. It's so good. I would love if somebody listening was at this show, if they could tell us more about it. Yeah. Send us a picture of the ticket stub and how much you paid for this show. And then tell us if there's anything else on earth that you ever bought that was worth more than that. <laughs> right? Right. Including an entire college education or anything. Nothing. There's nothing that's a better value than this, Jared. Nothing. Right. And Neil's drum fills at the end. Did you notice those? Yeah, that's what I wrote down. I wrote uh, the groove specifically about the drums. It's just mind-blowing. It really is. Yeah. And this is a short version of Bytor and the Snow Dog. They shortened it up. Right. But still just as amazing. Just as amazing. So you teased track four, Jared. I did. And that is Xanadu. forget what i said about the previous track is is there anything better than seeing xanadu perform live we've seen this we've seen them play this but this version man so good this is golden age rush right here this song yeah. xanadu is golden age now think about this the people that attended this show were likely seeing them perform xanadu for the first time in their lives oh yeah how great is that it's incredible, and you can tell that everyone loves A Farewell to Kings because there's just as much applause and reaction when these songs from A Farewell to Kings are announced as for any other songs. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, when we saw Xanadu performed live for the first time, we had heard Xanadu a billion times in our right. car stereos, but there may have been some people who hadn't even heard the song yet. <laughs> That's right. And then this, <laughs> right? That's true. That's true. I got to tell you, man, again, I hate to just talk about Alex, 
I don't hate to do it. I really love to do it. But on the opening riff of Xanadu, there's this like metallic clarity to what he's playing. It yeah. sounds incredible. And the same goes for Neil's percussion at the beginning. I yeah. mean, you could hear every little piece that he's playing so crystal clear. Yeah. And the pedal stuff at the beginning that Alex mm-hmm. is doing, man, it's crazy. Neil always liked to say that he wanted people to know that care was taken yeah. when putting something together. And Getty and Paul Northfield, you can tell that care was taken when they mixed this thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much care, and it is so worth it. So anything else on Xanadu besides it's one of Russia's greatest songs ever? <laughs> um, no. There's really not much. I just wrote down perfect from beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, you can say that about Xanadu almost every time Rush performed it, and this is no different. Yep. All right, that moves us to track five, A Farewell to Kings. This is track five on the Affair Wealth of Kings box set version, track four on different stages, disc three. Now, the, the acoustic guitar at the beginning, Jar, so crystal clear and beautiful. It's amazing. It is. I like how Getty, Getty talks a lot on this. Yes. He's like, you know, this brings Alex, <laughs> he brings Alex to his uh, classical acoustic guitar or whatever he says. <laughs> this is another song. I mentioned this when we were talking about Primus. So sad that I never got to see it perform live. I'm glad I saw Primus do it, but still sad I've never seen Rush do it. Yeah. And the thing I liked about this version is that Getty's doing some extra little keyboard flourishes Mm -hmm. at the beginning. A couple extra notes here and there. I like to think that he's just really into this show and is just, you know, trying out some new licks to see if they stick. And, you know, I didn't know that Getty was sick until you mentioned it just a few minutes ago. And I wrote down that Getty sounds on on this night. I mean, he just sounds amazing, especially on this song. Yeah. Again, if there's the standard that they hold themselves to, it's way higher than anyone else's standard. Because who could tell? There's no one that was at this show that walked out of there thinking, you know, they were a little off tonight. I don't know. Getty's voice was a little off. And as far as Alex's solo goes, forget adjectives. I just wrote down, holy crap. Right. The three of them are going off. Yep. You talk about that free will section. This was, this rivals that, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They were on fire. You know, I was hoping you were going to agree with me on this record because we didn't talk about this at all. Not at all. Before the podcast. No. And I'm thinking, man, I hope Jerry loves this as much as I do, or else this is going to be a real (laughs) contentious podcast. I would just be disagreeing with you. I don't know. What are you talking about? This sounds like crap. (laughs) Getty was sick. Neil was, uh, he was off, you know? Right. We hold them to a different standard than they hold themselves to. That's for sure. Yes, that's true. So let's move to track six. We're plowing through this, Jer. Something for nothing. Track six on the box set, track five on different stages. And the interesting thing at the beginning is when Getty introduces it, he calls the song You Don't Get Something for Nothing, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Why do you think that is? I don't know. 
Maybe he was pointing at someone specifically in the crowd and wanted them to know <laughs> what it was. You, sir, you don't get something for nothing. Is it possible he forgot the title of the song? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he had some cold medicine and it was uh, messing with his head. Now, hearing this just cements for me how amazing this song is. This is one of those Rush songs that kind of gets forgotten a little bit, don't you think? Yes, I think so, at least for me. I, every time I hear it, though, I love it. But it definitely is is not one, even though we named our podcast after it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We named our podcast after it, but it still doesn't get enough love for us. That's true. I think that changes right here because this is a great version. Every single track on this record is phenomenal, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep saying it, Alex was on fire yep. on this night and on this track, equally on fire. Yeah, I wrote down raucous solo. Raucous, that's a great word. You don't even need the cup anymore. I don't need the cup, man. I've got words in my head. They're just blowing the roof off of this place. Six songs in. How many songs in, Steve? That was six songs in, yeah. Six songs in. Yeah. Can you imagine being there and you're six songs in, you've heard Xanadu, and you've heard Bastille Day, and now this song? Oy vey, man. When I get the DeLorean, I'm setting the flux capacitor... <laughs> To February 20th, 1978. It's decided, right? That's right. Oh, I looked in. The other thing I wanted to mention is that there were 3,700 people there that night. That's it? Yeah. Small place. Wow. 3,700. One of them has to be listening right now and is going to let us know. Oh, I can't even imagine how awesome it would be to hear this in such a small place. Whoever it is we're going to have as a guest on the podcast, we're going to do it. Don't make promises that we can't keep. Well, if they could speak English. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to track seven, Jar. It is Cygnus X1. Invisible to telescopic eye, infinity, the star that would not die. So, Steve, I have one question for you at the beginning here of Cygnus X1. Okay. Is Getty Lee coming on to me? Is that what's happening at the beginning of the song? <laughs> he may be. I, he is just like, you know, invisible. To, he's, I don't know what he's doing. He's singing this song. I don't know who he's singing it to. He's almost whispering it, right? <laughs> he is. It's ama- maybe that's because he was sick. Maybe he couldn't do what he normally does. I don't know what he was doing, but but it's great. The rest of the song he was hitting the notes. It was it's like pillow talk over here. At the you think so? Of the song. <laughs> I loved it though. Oh, it was great. It was so unexpected. I love it when they change things up because Rush was always trying to improve on every song every time they played it. Yeah, it was very unexpected when he started doing that. And I was like, I'm digging this a lot. And Getty's bass tone was just incredible on this song yes and speaking of of primus how do you think the primus version compared to this version i thought the primus version was the best song they played that night primus yes definitely even their their own songs i thought this was the best yeah mostly because i think that the vocals were more and less claypool's wheelhouse on this song yeah than the other rush songs do you agree yeah, and I think that this is probably the most primus song that Rush has. Right. That makes any sense. Yeah, no, it was phenomenal. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, but Getty's bass, the tone that he gets in this one. Yeah. It's just, again, I, I keep on saying I would love to have been there, but I would love to have felt that rattling through my bones. And we mentioned this on the studio version, but they are just in lockstep at the beginning. Getty starts with the bass line, and then when Neil and Alex come in, they are bang, bang, just together. Yeah. And at the end, it is furious. Yeah. Furious. I don't know how Neil even had drumheads left. 
I don't know how any of them had had any strings. It's just the craziest, crazy. It's like a melee on stage. I want to know what kind of drugs Alex was on on this show because whatever <laughs> it was, he should have taken them every night. I mean, um, I know, unbelievable. And at the end, Getty's voice, the vibrato, and Getty's voice is incredible. It's just going up and down. Man, they just killing it, killing it. For Alex's solo, I just wrote, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Forget adjectives. I'm just going to be like, come on. You're killing me, Al. I don't know how entertaining this is, Jeremy. We're ju- all we're doing is singing Rush's praises for an hour here. Well, you know, after we did different stages and I said maybe we were gushing too much, I think I got like three emails where people said, you can't gush enough. Like that's all it said. Yeah. It was just, it was just emails that said, you can't gush enough. <laughs> no hello, no sign off, just that. We're preaching to the choir here for sure. That's true. That is true. Track eight, his anthem. This is track seven on different stages, Joe. Yep. And Neil's drums stand out to me on this one. The cymbals are so crisp. Yeah. You can hear every little bit. This is just a, a, a full, rich, great version of this song. Yeah. And as you said before, you know, Anthem is just phenomenal. We were talking about the cover version we heard. Yeah. On um, the Neil Peart tribute album. Anytime you hear Anthem, no matter who's playing it, if they're playing it well, it's phenomenal song. Yeah. And there's one of those rush moments in this song for you, Steve. Yes. I'm sure you noticed it, right? During the solo. Mm-hmm. Where they just kind of stop for half a second yep. and slam back in. They're amazing. And Alex and Fuego on this. Spanish on fire. <laughs> right? You have to switch to a different language. Yeah. This one's a different language. It's so good. <laughs> really, it really is incredible. It is incredible. All right, so now we get to a section of the album where these tracks are just on the Affair Walter King's box set, but equally as good. Yes. Track nine is closer to the heart. I'm the man who hold high places Must be the ones who start To know the new reality Closer to the heart Closer to the heart Now, Jar, I've asked you this before. We've heard Closer to the Heart on many a live album. Is this the best version of Closer to the Heart that you've heard on any Rush live album to this point? I'm going to say no. Oh, okay. Upset. It is a great version, but um, I like other versions better. How about that? I do like a show of hands closer to the heart. That's the one that's closest to my heart. Is that what we settled on? That's what I settled on. I don't remember what you settled on. I have no idea. I think you settled on exit stage left, but. Okay, that's good. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I like to know if my opinions have changed at all. I was going to say that that's what it was, but. I don't know. It's it, not that this is a bad version. There's just something about exit stage left version. I think that really gets me. That's all. And I continue to be floored by the fact that Getty was sick because I wrote down here that Getty's voice is more beautiful than I've ever heard him. <laughs> yeah. On this song, at least. Absolutely. He's definitely singing beautifully on the song. And Alex's solo is the typical closer to the heart solo, but no less fantastic. Yes, that's very true. And it has a straight ahead ending. Remember, they, the tour, they used to do like a, a different ending sometimes. Right. This is before, the, obviously before they did those, that ending. But it was just interesting. Because in my head, when I hear Closer to the Heart Live, I hear that ending. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and they hadn't come up with that. But like I said, they keep improving 
on every song as they go along throughout the years. Right. So they played closer to the heart so many times and just kept improving it. Yeah. Just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Just try and do something different. Liven it up. All right. So this brings us to track 10 on the Affair Walter King's box set only. 2112. Jar, as always, up until Test for Echo when they played this in its entirety, Part 5, Oracle the Dream, is not included here. Mm-hmm. But the fans screaming in between the guitar riffs at the open, that's the first thing that jumps out at me. What do you think? Um, yes, I wrote down that uh, this is pre da 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 Hey! Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. They were saying hey at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It was like a misplaced hey. So my question is if anybody knows when the crowd started shouting, hey, in the quote-unquote proper place. Hmm, that's a good question. I wonder when that started. Like, like when? Just when? I'm sure there's a member of the Rush family who can help us pinpoint it. Right. I hope we get a lot of emails about this because I need some answers. Yeah. TheRushCast at gmail.com is the email if you don't know it already. Nice, Send Jerry Steve. an email. Yeah. Nice plug there. Yeah, of course. Now, I don't know how Neil did this. I just don't know how he did it. 26 years old, right, at this time. How does he get through a show like this and just still be able to stand up straight at the end? I mean, how? I don't know. I don't know. By this time, your average mortal would be exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) As he's played. And then he has to play 2112, which is exhausting. It has to be exhausting. Right. I mean, 20 minutes. Well, in this case, probably a few minutes shorter because they left out part five, but still. All I wrote, I mean, I really didn't write down much um, about this because it's just, I mean, we could just say it's, it's like nearly perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, how much can we talk about all the solos and everything? Like you said, Rush fans don't mind if we say it over and over again. Getty's voice to me was a standout on this. I don't know how he was even sick. He's in full voice on this song to me. Mm -hmm. And Alex's solo is insane. It always is on 2112. I mean, it it just doesn't get better. The thing is, I had never heard this version of 2112 because I hadn't listened to the box set. That's right. Me too. It's the first time I heard this. Yeah. Um, A couple of things I wrote down, though, were in Discovery when Alex starts really getting into the, you know, the, the riffy part of the song, the clapping, right? The clapping. Yeah. Anybody else, man, that clapping would throw you off because (laughs) he starts going so fast and they can't keep up and, but they still keep on clapping and he just is outpacing them and they just eventually stop. But man, it, that would just mess with your head. Wouldn't it just trying to keep a, some kind of pacing going and have all of these people clapping out of time. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't there an artist? I could have sworn there was an artist at some point who told the crowd, Hey, no clapping. It messes me up. Who was that? I think that was Adam Sandler. He was playing the Hanukkah song. Really? There's a video of him playing the Hanukkah song and people are clapping along and he just stops and says, uh, I'm not that good. You can clap. You know what I mean? I can't think of the lyrics and play at the same time with you guys clapping. That's funny. Uh, maybe that's not it though. I don't know. I could have sworn it was, you know, a real artist. No offense, Adam. A real artist. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on before I piss off Adam Sandler anymore. That's right. Working man.
would be nice if Adam Sandler was listening and I pissed him off. That would be nice. That would be nice if Adam Sandler is a Rush fan. Adam, send us an email. Yeah, really. Email us at therushcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Working Man is track 11 on the A Farewell to Kings box set and track eight on different stages. And it's amazing to me how different the drums are on this version, even from the All the World's a Stage version. Like I said, they keep improving, right? Yeah, I put Neil adds so much yeah. to this version. It's crazy. He's just going crazy on this song. You and I are in lockstep here, Jared. We're thinking the same. And I have to remind you, it didn't dawn on me until I was listening to Working Man. This is four years after their debut album. That's it? Four years, Steve. Four years. You're saying that's a long time or a short time? I would think a short time. A short time. Yeah. How do they go? Uh, it's just whatever, man. We might have talked about that before. Talked about so many things. Four years. Crazy. Four years from the first Rush album to Xanadu. And then they're playing this song, but Neil is just like, he's not slowing down. No. For, the, for this song. He has his drum solo coming up. He's got he's to gotta keep it up, right? <laughs> he's figuring, if I'm going to play this song, I'm going to make it mine. He's, yeah, he's making it his. And he does. Absolutely. And Alex's solo, I wrote down, here's a word for you, virtuosic. Is that a word? That is very much a word, Steve. Is that right? Yes. It's definitely in the dictionary. No, no, but is it right that this solo is virtuosic? Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yes, I agree. I agree with you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so this track is part one of a medley of songs, Jim. And the next part of the medley is Fly By Night. curious to see if you thought the same thing I did about this version of fly by night track 12 on the farewell to Kings box set track nine on different stages. You go first, Jerry. I want to see if you agree with me. I bet you do. Oh, I'm, you're putting me on the spot. I don't know what to say now. I'm trying to think about what I would say that you would also say. Well, uh, let me go first then. Okay, good. Getty's vocals on this whole song are kind of a half step behind where he sings them on the record. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Gives it a really different sound. After we're done here, you got to go back and listen. And it's pretty weird, but also really good. Does it sound like he's lagging behind? I did not notice this. Yeah. But but I don't, I think he's deliberately lagging behind cuz the whole song is like that. Yes, and it gives it a different feel, which I really liked. It's not dragging the song down because I didn't think it was no, slowing it down or anything. Not at all. Not at all. I, it's just the first thing I noticed, and he did it the whole song. Interesting. You got to go back and listen. Yeah, I would never have come up with that. I mean, I, I just played a little bit of it, so our listeners just heard it. But you can rewind the podcast or go back and listen later. Sure. That's what I'll do. What do you think of this version of Fly By Night? Um, I thought it was great. I love the placement of it. They're not taking any extra seconds mm-hmm. you know i mean they're barreling toward the end of this concert 2112 was the end of the show right proper these are the encore songs and they're just getting right to the point man they, from working man right into fly by night and, and they did it at a perfect spot too they just jumped right into fly by night and it sounds seamless alex's solo not as epic as the others but still phenomenal yep i mean i'm i know what to say man there's nothing to say. His fingers must be bloody <laughs> by now, don't you think? I can't, I can't even imagine. So track three of the medley, track 13 on A Farewell to Kings, track 10 on different stages, Jar. Got it all figured out in the movie. A 
again, Neil adds so much to this version, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I wrote down again. Neil killing it on this one too. And this song definitely has a lot of life to it. Yeah. It's a spirited, spirited version. The thing that I thought about when listening to this is Rush never stopped playing this song. The whole 40 plus years they existed. In the Mood was part of one of their first shows. And I think they may have wrapped up their final show within the mood, if I'm not mistaken. You might be mistaken. I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. <laughs> but they play they played it their entire career. That's for sure. That is definitely for sure. Um, but yeah, this version is definitely they're loving. They're in a good mood, I think, at this point. I don't care what that what those quotes said that I read. They're they're in a good mood at this point in the concert because this version is just on fire. They're in the mood, Jar. They are they in are. the mood. That's exactly right. <laughs> they're in a mood. The other thing I noticed is you can hear Alex's backing vocals very clearly in the mix, which I liked. Yes, I like that too. And another ripping solo by Alex, which you know, of course, of course, just a great version of "In the Mood." It's a simple song. Rush kills it. They always do. Yep, absolutely. So now, Jar, on the "A Farewell to Kings" box set. We have an additional track, and it's Neil's drum solo. how Getty introduced Neil at the beginning. The good and wonderful professor on the drum kit. <laughs> and during this, if you listen to it as loud as I was listening to this album, <laughs> which is very loud, you can hear somebody every once in a while just yelling, the professor, or something like that. He's, he's definitely saying professor, but I don't know if there's any words before, but it just sounds like he's screaming professor the whole time. And Getty left that in smartly. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a trained octopus playing this solo. Really is right? nuts. It's nuts. I mean, even like the same kind of drum solo that was on all the world's stage. This one, uh, uh, there's just some, again something extra going on, right? Have you heard the part at the beginning with the toms? I mean, he did this section at the beginning with the tom toms that was just unbelievable. And I don't believe that I've heard that part of Neil's drum solo in any other drum solo that's been recorded. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I was just I was looking for the parts that he always used and adapted in different, right. different solos. Well, there was a lot of that too. Yeah, definitely. But the audience was really, really into it. Like you said, the guy yelling professor, but the crowd was just, <laughs> was just way into it. They were way into it. Who's in, who's way into a drum solo, Steve? If you go to show him who's into, who's way into drum solos? Rush fans. Rush fans. <laughs> Who else? Everyone else Who goes else? to the bathroom during the drum solo. <laughs> Um, and then this is one part I wrote down at the exact time. It was like four minutes and 28 seconds in just like on a sweep of all these crazy drums. It sounds like he hits like a, a little tiny bell. It kind of sounds like a, like a bell you'd have on your bicycle or something. I don't know what's going on, but he is just wailing at everything. And he just does this little ding, this little tiny thing. And it only happens once. And you know, he did it on purpose. Oh, of course. You know, he did that on purpose just as an accent for people to, to pick up later on and Alex and Getty come in for a heavy metal ending at the end of the drum solo. And that <laughs> ends right. the show. And, right. and at that point, if you're in the audience, you know, that's not the end. Can't be the end. Can't be the end. Oh, you can't end the show with a drum solo. Can you, who knows with rush back then you never know anything's possible, but they don't end it with a drum solo. Steve, what do they end it with? They end it with track 15 Cinderella man. Awesome. 
This, of course, is track 11 on different stages. If you do the math, Joe, four extra tracks, 15 minus four is 11. That is true. I've heard that before. And one of the great tragedies of my life, Jer, is never seeing Rush play Cinderella Man live. One of the great tragedies. <laughs> I'll list the other tragedies on a different episode. But I was going to say, you have had a very sheltered life. <laughs> <laughs> but let me, ask, let me ask you this question, Steve. It's not really a question. If somebody had suggested to me back in 1978, what song should Rush end a concert with? If they had suggested that they ended with Cinderella Man, I would have kicked them in the butt or something. Right. But this is a fantastic version, especially when Getty goes, make it funky. Yeah, that was so great. Because it is funky. That part is funky. It is. It totally is funky. And they just jam it out. Oh, boy, what a great ending to a show. Oh, my God. So much Faster than the studio version, so much better than the studio version. Like you said, amazing that they ended it with this because yeah. this was, they knocked it out of the park with this. They just did. Yeah, definitely a, a totally unexpected song to play. They played, so they played almost all of A Farewell to Kings. Yeah. Well, it's the A Farewell to Kings tour. Right. But they didn't, the only song they didn't play, of course. Nope. No Madrigal. <laughs> <laughs> ever played that giddy nope <laughs> did you notice that alex and neil they just add so much texture to this song yeah that wasn't there on the studio version yep i did notice it man alex's guitar sounds so good i mean just incredible yeah what else can i say and i of course wrote down the rush moment where getty says make it funky yeah and then they do they do make it funky they do and Alex's solo, you know, like I said, just a, as amazing as everything else on this record. Yeah. And when they come out of it, you know, back to the, back to the chorus at the end. Okay. Wait, what do you have to say about that? Cause I wrote something down about that. Go ahead and say it. Alex does something with his guitar that makes it sound like it's slowing down or something a little bit. Did you notice that? <laughs> yes. I what did. was that? I don't have the slightest idea, but it was great. Yeah. Such a fantastic fantastic way to end this song and the entire concert and this episode of the something for nothing podcast nice that was a great segue how about that segue right that's a great one so now that we've heard disc three jer does it further cement as we suspected different stages as the greatest rush live album ever yes yes so it was before now you can't even possibly argue it's not no, it's untouchable. It's untouchable. And here's here's what I would like to see. Okay. I would like to see more unearthed concert recordings like this. Raw sounding, produced but raw sounding, and the entire show from beginning to end. I would love to see a series, and like a bootleg series almost, even though this isn't really a bootleg. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, when Pearl Jam did that, did they sound as good as this, or were they just kind of bootleggish? I don't know. I, there were so many of them. I never, I didn't get any of them. Yeah, I think they did it to thwart bootleggers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can only assume that they recorded it off the off the soundboard, but I don't know if they produced it at all afterwards. So this one is from a farewell to Kings. What if Rush released one of these from every tour? You know, one yeah. show that's just the gem of every tour. Yep. That would be the way to do it, right? Absolutely. That's what I would do. And fans would eat that up. Yeah, that's what I would love to see. I want to hear a Hemispheres one. I want to hear them play Hemispheres. Yeah, I want to hear a Presto one. I want to hear one from every tour. Yeah, absolutely. That would be fantastic. That's a great idea, Jar. Thank you so much, Steve. Let's pitch it. Let's pitch it. <laughs> if you have any other ideas, email them to us, therushcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of our conversation about Different Stages Disc 3, Farewell to Kings, the live disc. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. The bass intro and outro, Lex did Xanadu for us. He's always amazing. Thanks, Lex. Follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And Jer, 
Hope you have a great quote to wrap up this one for us. I do. A modest man from Mandrake traveled rich to the city. He had a need to discover a use for his newly found wealth. Cinderella man doing what he can. Thanks, Jay. <sighs> See you later.